Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan. And with me, as always, is a man who has an animal Thunderdome in his backyard. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I didn't have an animal Thunderdome. But then some guys wanted to make a movie. <laughs> right, they built me an animal like, Thunderdome. If you guys want to build me an animal Thunderdome, I'll keep the animal Thunderdome. As long as you build it to code, of course. And uh, and yeah, it just all works out. What I, I get the Animal Thunderdome that I have no use for, but they also built me an office. But so here's the good. thing. The funniest thing about this is I didn't process it until much later after that documentary is over. Because they're like, oh, because they show the wrong picture. They're like, they say like, right. and the cage, they turn into an aviary. And like they showed a picture yeah. of the little cages where they were storing all the animals. They weren't talking about that. Right. They were talking about the fucking yeah, dome, man. But in my head, like, I... It makes I, much, so much more sense. The visual, yeah. like, I connected, no, I was it, like, well, that's a shitty aviary. The thing, thing's only, like, four right. feet tall, five feet tall. <laughs> right, I was like, right, like, right. Hours later. I'm saying hours, Adam. Like, I'm doing the dishes five hours later. And I'm like, they made <laughs> the fucking like, oh, dome. No. That Pat, makes sense. Pat, I admittedly had not put any energy into it, but I did not think about that until you just said it. So... Because like, like, why would you show yeah. the wrong fucking picture? <clears throat> because you are right that, as they say, oh, we built the cages for them and converted into uh, they converted into aviary. It is uh, cat cages that are not very tall. Right, um, not a good aviary. Uh, a huge yeah. dome, a fucking perfect aviary. It looks exactly <laughs> like what an aviary looks like. <laughs> right, right. Like right. it's like oh, dub hat. Like I don't know. It's just so. <laughs> Yeah, don't need to spend too much time. But I just like that cage. Otherwise, is fucking ridiculous and doesn't make any sense to have. <laughs> and also, when you think about it, you realize that they built that. Part of it is that that sketch, right? And it looks cool, right? Like they're sketching right, it in the notes right. of the thing. But there's a sort of like flip side of that because they show the sketch of it. At the same time, you're like, how much did the person who ran that animal shelter say? Like, no, 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 no. I have a plan for this, and you're going to build it like this. It doesn't make any <laughs> right, sense in the movie right. because none of the animals they're training can fly. Lions become griffins all the time. It's how it's griffins get like spontaneous griffin combustion. Like it's like <laughs> I was yeah. just a lion, but watch out! Now I'm a now I'm a griffin. Yeah, spontaneous griffinization. Yeah. Oh God, uh, I gotta go. I gotta I gotta log off. I have a story to go write. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. I have my YA novel all planned now. Take it you finished your novel by now. Uh, yeah, the no. For the, the, luckily, the through the magic of podcasting, like we're able to cut out <laughs> yeah. the the seventeen days I was gone from the beginning of the recording. Of yes. The end. Honestly, if you could if you could hash out this novel in seventeen days, I spontaneous Griffinization <laughs> writes its fucking self, Adam. Right. 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 That's, that's that's fair. Uh, before we talk too much more about Griffinization or uh, or this movie in general. I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lost in criterion uh, over there for a dollar a month. You can help us keep going and get access to a bonus episode. We do a non criterion film over there. Supporters get to vote on what the film is going to be. Uh, I put together a list with four themed choices usually. And then a fifth choice that is always uh, Kazam, 
1996 children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a rapping genie. Uh, Does not have any spontaneous organization. Could, though, because he's a no. genie. Could. Like, why doesn't it? That's, I mean, that's really... oversight. It's just really a major oversight. Yeah. More more movies definitely need spontaneous Griffinization. That's true. Um, I can't think of a single one with any spontaneous They're all improved by, by it, frankly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically now a law of writing that, like, mm, you want to make a novel better? You... Griffinization. Listeners, let me tell you. If you can think of four movies with spontaneous Griffinization... <laughs> Got a got a list for next month. Get them to me because I need I need lists for the for the bonus over at patreon.com slash lost in criterion. Like I said, they're usually theme lists. It's always a non criterion film except for the few occasions where it's been a film that was later added to the criterion collection. Which could be any um, of them at any time. Which yeah. I frankly. mean we've watched some really good films over there that, that should be in the criterion right. collection. Uh and we've watched some really not so great films that I'm glad aren't in the Criterion Collection. But could also be in the Criterion Collection. Like, let's be honest here, could also be in the Criterion Collection. Yeah. As of this recording, there's, uh, I believe, 45 uh, bonus episodes over there because we've been doing it for a few years. Uh, Like I said, it's one a month, uh, except for December. Uh, We don't do a bonus episode in December on the Patreon because we do one uh, for the holiday special that, that... gets released publicly but yeah patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to get in on that for a dollar we greatly support that for a little extra five dollars and above we uh we like to thank those supporters on air thank you so much to our only five dollar and above supporter right now who is a longtime friend of the show uh who has decided to give us five dollars and we greatly appreciate steven goldmeyer for that thank you absolutely a little bit above that we do something that i think is pretty dang special. Pat, do you think it's pretty dang special? Um, I do. Uh, it's become essentially the only creative outlet I have in my life, so oh, I no. think it's pretty special. Well, you do need to start working on that. that the YA novel, novel yeah. Novel, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's about spontaneous Griffinization. God, I just want to keep saying it. It's such novel, a great maybe phrase. It's like, maybe it's like, a, like a, one of those modern Western mangas. That might be. I'm going to find an artist who's <laughs> that not could me. Work. That could work. Yeah. Uh, anyway, at $10 and above, uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and mail that postcard off with a little personalized note to our $10 and above supporters. We also thank those people on air. Thank you so much to Chris Otto, to Jason Westhaver, Michael McGrath, Patrick Yako, and Adam Speakerman for uh, supporting at that level and above. Again, to support us. It's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. But if you just want to see what the postcards are, get a little taste for them, or maybe buy one of the old ones for yourself, you can go to redbubble.com and search for lost in criterion to see uh, all of the postcards with two exceptions. One, I only put them up on a three month delay so that our supporters can enjoy them before, uh, before anyone else gets to see them. And two, uh, Toho threatened to sue us for one. Yeah. So we had to remove that, that from the one shop. down. Uh, which yeah. is really again, I can't, I cannot stress this enough. Go search Criterion Collection on Redbubble and oh, be yeah, amazed yeah, at the things that can go on there and not get takedown notices, yeah, uh, which are up. just like literal, Toho. just photos of the covers of the DVDs. Um, Toho so is a very litigious company, yeah. and uh, and Redbubble. Uh, what what we had is, I will go to my grave. What we had is uh, is. Fair use. I, I uh, totally but, agree. Uh, that's true. But 
Um, but Redbubble didn't want to defend us, and that's their prerogative. So yeah, you know, I mean, they're not going to do their that. Shop. Like they're not going to go to bat for that's us. That's the like, the problem of using a marketplace is that right. we are controlled by the people who control that marketplace. Patreon.com slash Lost and Craig if you want to support us. Thank you so much to those who do. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, there are plenty of other ways to support us, and you know, just uh, clicking that download button or adding your RSS feed to whatever you use. Uh, do whatever sort you know, of weird computer magic you do to get this podcast. <laughs> yeah, do your computer magic. We appreciate that. Last week, we at the end of the episode, we talked about this movie. You know, and and usually the way that works is that uh, you know we we watch these in order, and generally at this point we're only watching one per week. You know, sometimes because of scheduling, we'll we'll double up and watch two movies back to back and record both those episodes. Uh, but generally, right now we're Watching a movie, recording the episode, watching the next movie, recording an episode. So when we talked about White Dog, we had the plot synopsis of the introduction, uh, but we hadn't seen it. Right. And both of us were pretty nervous about this movie, Yeah, I think. I think it's pretty accurate to say that. Because what we have is a 1982 film uh, directed by Sam Fuller. And, and we've seen Sam Fuller before, though... Yeah. Honestly, long enough ago, you know, uh, Naked Kiss and Shot Corridor were spines 18 and 19. Like, I, I uh, only know, I only remember the names, basically. Right, right. I can remember general plot points of uh, Shot Corridor. I vaguely uh, remember some aesthetic a, things from Shot Corridor. It was, an, it was a reporter going undercover in a, uh, in a uh, mental right, asylum. Right, right. Um, but, but yeah, uh, one, I don't remember much about them Two, We definitely weren't interacting with films for this project in the same way we are no, we now. Are no, absolutely not. Right. Um, we also watched pick up on South street some point in I, here. I don't even um, remember that, but yeah. Yeah. It's uh New York noir, um, something about spies. It was very, it was very weird. Um, <laughs> I remember it being uh, kind of, uh, I don't think we were super into it. Yeah. Um, I did. We, we but, watched the naked kiss. I don't remember this at all. Like I'm looking at screenshots yeah. of it. I don't remember this even a little bit. Yeah. I remember shot corridor, like from a, just a, from purely aesthetics, like looking at the pictures, I'm like, yes, these pictures are familiar images that have at some point crossed my eyeballs into my brain. I, I think because they were back to back, yeah. they maybe maybe blended together, known together. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm just looking at like, yeah. Well, this is the problem with this project is that like all those movies that right. predate about number seventy, like we're just right. our 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 engagement with them were now, garbage. Uh, I think I so. think you also need to keep in mind that at the time. Uh-huh. We were recording two or three episodes. Usually three. At a time. Usually yeah. three. Uh, which means there is a chance, though I do not actually remember if this actually happened, but there is a chance that in the same week we watched and talked about Solo, The Naked Kiss, and Shot Corridor. Yeah. Together. That sounds possible. That definitely sounds possible. Uh and I, I can say, I can I can understand not remembering any movie I watched after Solo for some right, time. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, yeah, 
Though, though to be fair, you know, I remember a bit of shock quarter. Sid and Nancy and Dead Ringers are right after those. Right, and I uh, remember and Sid and Nancy. Dead, yeah. Dead Ringers. <laughs> yeah. Cronenberg's uh, uh, delight. Yeah, um, Dead Ringers is, but, a, is a wild ride, to, to, to say <laughs> yes, the least. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, while, while Fuller's sort of exploitative work uh, in Naked Kiss and Shot Corridor uh, should have been shocking. Right. I think between Dead Ringers and Solo, it maybe yeah, right. wasn't. Right. Regardless of which one we paired it up with, we probably overstimulated ourselves quite a bit. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they are probably movies we should revisit. I'm certainly... The way they were described in the bonus features of this movie... Uh, Makes me want to go watch them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was definitely not how I interacted with them no, when we watched them. Not. I know that for certain. Uh, uh, describing either of those works as, uh, as anti-racist in themselves uh, seems pretty obvious by the examples they gave yeah. in the documentary. But not but something I recall at not, all. Right, right. Um, so yeah, uh, pick up on South Street is its own. Uh, it's they accidentally there. It's a pickpocket who accidentally steals a wallet containing uh, government microfilm. Okay, I think it's yeah, it's the plot sure. of that one. Um, yeah, but like I said, it was. Uh, it's in the sort of nebulous region where I'm not sure when we watched it. <laughs> Two twenty four uh, between Matrice and Tunes of Glory, which are uh, you know Matrice I will remember because I own it, right? Um, uh, and because of the the UFO steps of, of that uh, of her sex dungeon, but um, anyway. Right. Uh, but yeah, so so this is our last fooler. Um, I remember being fooler was interesting to me, but they have not made a solid impact. Uh, but it's also been eight years right, since we right. watched the first two fooler films. Right. Well, that's and we that's saw a whole thing. one other one about four years ago. Right. So. Uh, and also the one that yeah. we saw four years ago, even if that was a time when we were engaging with films in a little bit deeper level, like it's probably the least interesting of the ones <laughs> you just described to me. Like it's like I don't really right, care. That right, premise right. is not at all, you know, in, in, you know, intriguing to me, really, yeah. frankly. Right. Uh, so anyway, this week it is White Dog, and White Dog is based on a sort of semi-memoir by a guy named Romain Gary. Uh, Gary and Fuller were actually friends uh, because uh, Fuller had made a movie that was pretty critical of French involvement in Southeast Asia. And Gary was the French consul in L.A. Uh, when that movie came out. So mm-hmm. Gary <laughs> reached out to Fuller to tell him to shut up. Um, basically right uh then they became friends from that um gary uh wrote this book uh the wikipedia for the white dog film page uh describes gary writing about his activist wife and then describes them both as having committed suicide by 1981 
It does not mention that the activist wife in question is actress Jean Seberg. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh, seemingly that, a, an important omission. Yeah. Right. And uh, and because of that, does not mention that she only maybe committed suicide, but also if she did, she was driven to suicide because of harassment from the U.S. government. Right. Um, yeah. Like. She very much got the she got that treatment that oh so many uh, activists have gotten yes. from the United States right. government, and she got that she got that treatment for being a famous white woman who was very publicly supportive of uh, civil rights issues, African American civil rights issues, uh, particularly in relationships with the Black Panthers, uh, because well we we killed the guy who wanted to do it nonviolently. Um, but, uh, right. but also, um, no, the Black Panthers have a, have a real negative, uh, connotation, I think in I, the majority of, of, of white American culture, even liberal, well-meaning white right. American a, culture. A very, it seems like, uh, the more I learn, the more it strikes me as a very, uh, like very in line with what the FBI would say perception of, right. of the Black Panthers. Right. Uh, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, it's right, right. the uh, The opinion people have have the Black Panthers is is COINTELPRO. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, we we just, we bought that one pretty much hook, line, and sinker right. to to say the yeah. least. Right. It's you know it's, and we do that every so often with people who uh, you know actually think that black people are people. Uh, we just write them off as insane all the time, uh, as insane or violent or both. You know, John Brown. Right. John Brown, you, right? I was taught in Maryland that John Brown was just an insane man, not that he was uh, a man who you know thought that black people deserved. Right. I mean, I I was, was not necessarily was taught, willing to help them fight for it. Right. But necessarily anyway. taught he was insane, but like there was definitely the implicit uh, concept that like I was being described a negative story, right? Of right, of right. a person doing a bad thing. <laughs> it's like yeah, you know, in hindsight, my education was a little bit fucked up that way, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, U.S. The way we teach history in the U.S. has a has a tendency to do that with well, anyone I mean, it, who's not around to defend themselves, and right. and for people who are still alive to keep them away from defending themselves. Right. I mean, you uh, know, so ed, you know, education <coughs> operating yeah. in 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 yeah, the so, concern of empire. Right. Like here we go. Yeah. So, uh, Gary's story has its own sort of that. Uh, also failed to mention in the White Dog movie page is that they had been divorced since 1970. Uh, Gari wrote the book in 75. Um, Seaboard died, I think, in 79. And then uh, Gari himself committed suicide in 81. And then this movie comes out in 82. Um, so Gari wrote this at a time when he was post-divorce uh, about a... Uh, woman who, you know, rather famously, uh, had a lot of affairs. Uh, not, not, uh, some of them were probably more rumor than actual affair, right. I'm sure. Uh, and certainly she was rumored to be in bed with, I think, basically all of the, all of the Panthers in LA, um, which is, you know, its own disgusting sort of thing. But she did, she did have affairs. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I was uh, reading her affairs page and because there's a whole section on the Wikipedia about that. Right. Um, and what it struck me is like we, we I started to like think about it. And I'm like, 
This strikes me as a woman who defined her relationships in a very different way than basically everybody else around her wanted her to define them. Right. Uh, right. Like, right. at some point, the word affair starts to fail to convey the right. information that would actually be useful. Like, I don't... You start to get the impression, like, maybe she wanted a kind of relationship that basically society and possibly Romain Gary were not prepared to... Uh, Right, necessarily engaged. I think with. that. I think that's very. I think that's very fair. I think. Uh, I don't use the affair in in any sort of judgmental right, right. context onto her onto her love life. Um, Mine is more of a judgment of it, the Wikipedia page, yeah, more than but else. but it it does seem that she and Gary were not on the same page about their relationship. Right. That seems true. Um, Considering he yeah. tried to duel fucking Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Yes, Apparently. threatened to do a Clint Eastwood. What, like, what kind of anyway. world do you have to enter into? A start to to, to try <laughs> to duel Clint Eastwood, and then idea? Clint Eastwood to be the the same, like the really like clear headed one who's like, no, I'm not going to yes. duel you. <laughs> uh, he's, he's very French, <laughs> apparently. Like that's like anyway, but it's not even like now yeah. French. That's like yeah, it's all of that weird. That's very unusual. Listen, this is all like side story, except to say that the book that White Dog is based off of, also called White Dog, uh, bears some semblance to the movie, but is mostly uh, Gary writing a take that to his ex-wife right? <laughs> um, about how uh, all of her uh, <laughs> anti-racism uh, work was really just anti-white racism. Uh, or reverse racism, as some people might say, including I'm somebody sure in the Gary would be there, including some people in the documentary. And uh, I flipped Oof. off the screen when that. Term I was did not, up. but I I yeah. audibly, <laughs> I audibly croaked at my screen. Like I, yeah. I, I yeah. believe I said, uh, "Are you fucking kidding me right now?" <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, and and Gary's work was aimed at being both both a condemnation of American racism and a condemnation of uh, the black nationalist response to white nationalism. And then by um, and by connection, a condemnation of white supporters of that right, movement. Right. But but his his condemnation of white supporters of that movement is also needs to be seen through the framing that he is particularly mad. No, at his I ex-wife. yeah no for sure it is a condemnation of a very specific support, white supporter of that movement. Right. Like let's be very clear. Right. So imagine. So okay, why I really bring that up is that I think it lays some base work for an interesting, more nuanced conversation about race and racism than this movie wants to is having not that necessarily than more nuanced than what it wants to have but certainly more nuanced than it is having this movie is meant to be an anti-racist movie right i don't know that it achieves being an anti-racist movie uh Um, yeah and we can get we can can get into why eventually through this through this episode we will um other background on this movie is that from the time it was first an excerpt of it was published i think in time magazine in 75 and then the full the full book later that year, and uh, and it almost immediately went into production. Um, originally, Rowan Polanski was meant to direct this movie, and we can all be glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> and it didn't happen because Roman Polanski was arrested 
or right. well. I I no, like how was, the documentary was arrested, dodged around and that. then they let him out. Yeah, yeah. Roman Polanski. Um, the whole thing with Roman Polanski and his uh, rape of an underage woman um, was uh, was happening concurrently to him being hired to direct this movie, which is why he did not direct right. this movie. I believe they, yeah, the documentary was like. We wanted originally. We wanted Roman Plan. Roman, they tapped Roman Polanski to do it, and that didn't happen. <laughs> and that didn't work out. Yeah, I was like, you "Can say why?" Hey, hey movie, <laughs> you want to say why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the <laughs> the Wikipedia page uh, is actually pretty in line with that documentary in the uh, incredible understatement of what seems like it could be pertinent details, right? <laughs> um, uh, his activist wife, uh, Roman Polanski, could right. not direct. Um, the Wikipedia is upfront about why Roman Polanski couldn't direct. By the way, but, that's good. Um, but anyway, eventually Fuller was brought on, uh, but the movie only went into production because there was a threatened directors and uh, writers guild strike, and this movie was already far enough in production that they didn't need more writers, and they hired Fuller because they thought he could turn around a movie fast enough to get it out before the director's strike happened. Which didn't happen if anyway. If it did happen. It didn't happen anyway. Uh, the writer's strike did happen, but the, the director's strike did not. Uh, in any case, he leaned into some other aspects of the movie. The original ending of the book, for instance, because Gary, uh, the original ending of the book is that he's, Keys, the, uh, the black animal trainer, uh, retrains the dog to attack white people instead of attacking black people, uh, which is obviously part of Gary's uh, critique that uh, black nationalism is just as bad as white nationalism. And it's just about uh, just about turning the tables and, you know, <laughs> so much, so much fear of liberation movements, right? Be it yeah. black liberation, queer liberation, uh, women's liberation, so much fear of liberation movements is just that, well, they're going to get power and do to us what we've been doing to them. Right. And, and it's and... always, a, and it's always a fascinating one because it has basic, like it always comes from a sort of bigots fever dream sort of place. Right. Right. Like right. you see it in movies too. And it's like, it's like, do you like, do you think that this organization is going to so dramatically turn the tables of the entire society that like sudden like what what world like it's just wow I mean right. it's always it always is one of those things that you see in movies and stuff where you're like what like does this like keep you up at night do you have trouble sleeping because yeah. you're thinking about this and you know ultimately what it boils down to is any loss of power is a threat to livelihood and that equates to a threat of life in people's minds I think right. pretty easily um, and yeah it all boils down to it. Uh, so this movie is about uh, Christy McNoll plays uh, an actress. She she's in essentially the Gene Seaborg uh, thing in the movie. Um, right. She plays a woman who who hits a dog. Uh, I guess in the re- in the actual reality, not even necessarily the actual reality. In Gary's telling, um, the dog just sort of wanders onto their property one day. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh. Interestingly, uh, McNoll's character's initials are J.S. and her boyfriend's 
initials are uh, are RG. Uh, oh, so, wow. like Fuller. Okay. Fuller Boy, sometimes you just can't too. help yourself, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, Julie, I think, is her name in the movie. I don't uh, know. I don't know what the name of any characters in this movie is other than right, dog. Right. And they, they don't even bother to name the dog. So yeah, like... no, the dog is just dog for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like I, I this is one of yeah. those movies where I didn't engage with the concept of the characters having names at all. <laughs> right. They don't they don't even like the movie's not super interested in any of the characters having names at all. Right. Uh but yeah. Uh so production wise, um, this movie was pushed by uh, by Michael Eisner when he was with Paramount, uh, and he uh, he framed it as a uh, uh, Jaws with paws. Uh, right. He wanted it to be an exploitation horror movie, um, and this was before Cujo, so like it would have been early on on dog horror, I guess. Right. Uh, at least according to the 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 animal trainer who they talked to in the documentary. Right. Um, uh, but yeah. Also, everybody in that behind-the-scenes documentary is Fuller's friend. So, like, they're all point, painting this in just the best light. Yeah, uh, it's always and it again, a very they're all, positive theme uh, you know, documentary. They're all white people um, talking about Fuller. And, and Fuller... I think, I think what Fuller was trying to do is... Further left than even Hollywood liberal right. would do at the time, certainly, and maybe even today. Um, I would say probably yes today also. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't want to attack him in that regard necessarily. I think what he's doing is also it is a very unnuanced look at racism. Now, the NAACP threatened a boycott of this movie, and there was an NAACP advisor uh, who Paramount brought in without telling Fuller. Um, they also brought in another uh, another African American who was the uh, a producer for the local PBS affiliate, uh, and they both gave notes. And the PBS guy uh, did not see any racist issues with the movie. Um, the NAACP person did, uh, but from one of the Criterion essays, I learned. Uh, that it seems more like the NWACP worry about the movie was that it might encourage people to start training white dogs. Yeah, I mean, I got, um, I can, and I can see yeah. that, like, like up until the moment that I saw this movie, that was not a thing that ever occurred to me as existing. Right, and like right. I can see how you could be like, maybe we shouldn't give people ideas, like just in case. Yeah, like, well, well, actually, that's a that's a very interesting thing the movie does. I think is that, uh. Very few of the white people in the movie are are aware that white dogs are a thing that exists. Right. But like every black character, as soon right. as they meet this dog, exactly. like, that's a that's a white dog. Right. Um, in fact, we I think we only so, have one white character who is aware that that yeah. exists is the the animal trainer <laughs> right. Right. head guy. Right. right. He's the only one who's like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I know what this Burl is. Lives. Like, um, so so that's you know, there's some there's some subtle stuff in this movie about. Uh, you know, uh, black people having to deal with these racist uh, power structures uh, that that white people can be blissfully unaware of, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this movie might even accidentally do some interesting things in that, uh, say, 
uh, Julie's refusal to tell her actress friend who the dog attacked why the dog attacked her. Right. Uh, that, you know, and I think that's is, an important is, scene in the is movie. Is offering yeah. a, yeah, is offering a, uh, a critique of the way white womanhood often serves to gird white supremacy. Right. Um, and how even white feminism can do that because of its centering of whiteness often uh, above above a more intersectional look. Uh, and, you know, that's that's why a lot of what grew out of, you know, the 60s feminism in uh, African-American spaces is actually called womanism uh, to differentiate itself from, uh, right. from feminism. At least that's my understanding of the... Of the uh, progency of that term and maybe you know if i'm if i'm describing that poorly forgive me please so i think so i think the movie does do some interesting things but ultimately what the movie does is it posits racism as an individualistic right problem yeah. uh and one that can be solved as long as the individual can be cured but then ultimately <laughs> Uh, this movie seems to say that the individual can't be cured, right? Or and that's an interesting thing. Not, and I, not that it can't be cured, but that the the hate the hate can be cured, but can only be sort of re aimed. Well, and that's um, an interesting thing because the the movie posits a thing. I think the problem we run into is that like n- my guess is that nobody along the line was willing to change the fundamental crux of the ending, which is the attack yeah. on the the dog attacking a white person right. instead. And what the yeah. movie tried Fuller's, to do was posit a different reason for that that wasn't like that would still like track across the movie. It's not a good right. one. They're like, oh, like you can't yeah. let go of the hate, so you're just going to like lash out and essentially trying to purge racism right. will like drive you insane or something. Like it's not and a great ending. Like the ending, I, <laughs> I like Literally. I don't know what it would have been, but it could have been. Yeah, should have been something else. I don't know right. what it would have been. Literally. Uh, Fuller's view, you know, he he actively said that this is a movie about a a dog having a mental breakdown. Right. <laughs> right. Now, right. Um, there is a different reading of this that I that I do kind of I can get on board with, which is a, a okay. darker reading, which is okay. there's a way if you kind of ignore the way that like the dog sort of mental ability and you and you transpose it across to actual races there could be an argument that says that like you know if you read the movie as a concept where you're like they keep essentially shielding the system in order to try to fix it and a, a reckon a, a way of viewing the system as like reformist rather than burn it down right like we right, gotta fix right. it and it causes the death of people right like trying to fix the system rather than burn it down causes death of people and then and that- you get to the end that sometimes you just gotta fucking burn the system to the ground and that's a, a real interesting thing because it also plays into an idea that Fuller, I, I will definitely say Fuller is not on board with, but I think it does suggest an end reading or a reading of the end of this movie that they fail because they are misdiagnosing the problem. Right, right. And I, and I, I do not believe that is for Fuller's intent, but that's the funny thing, right? You can sometimes accidentally make a thing right. that, that like... In trying to make the yeah. thing you want, you accidentally make the thing you didn't want to make, which right. is from every from 
everything I have heard Fuller or any of Fuller's yeah. friends say about this movie, that is not Fuller's intent. Absolutely. I agree. Everything I heard as well, everything I read, <laughs> right. that is not his goal is to, defi- to diagnose racism as an as individual issue rather than a systemic right. issue. That needs to be educated away. But by making um, an ending where they can't do that. Right. It what, does an interesting thing. It does right? a really interesting thing on accident. Because then you if you start <laughs> to track that across like modern the modern era, right, and like you look at like Seberg's life and things like that, and then you look at the way like the police react in our current day, like, oh, well you know, if you sort of like track the white dog into the police, right? And then you're like, okay, what happens when when there are when you try to fix that and you, you start marching in the streets and they just start wildly attacking just literally anybody on the street. Right. right? They're right, just right. like they start and, flailing and, and just killing anybody they can get a hold of. And an interesting aspect from the background reality uh, is that, uh, you know, earlier I said I wasn't I wasn't sure on how the dog came into Gary and Seberg's possession. But but I've run across that information and they adopted the dog. Uh, but he was a German shepherd who had formerly been police in dog. Alabama police dog. Oh, yeah, you're damn straight. Of course it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and if uh, you really think <laughs> about the way policing works in most places, like, the reality of the matter is, is a police dog and a white dog are indistinguishable <laughs> from, each other, from each other at their core. Like, it, it right. sucks. I, I absolutely despise the idea of turning animals into that kind of thing. It absolutely right. sucks, but like it is the reality of the matter is that like most police dogs are super fucking racist. <laughs> like it's just like <laughs> they aren't like racist in the way that you and I are, but like they were made by racists to be racist. Like that's the way it is. Right. Right. And 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 actually, you know, where where that social conditioning that the that the movie wants to talk about uh becomes interesting in, in looking at the reality of that situation is that they aren't even necessarily purposely racist. Right. right. There isn't necessarily a police officer saying, well, this we're going to train this dog to attack black people. But by the nature of policing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because of the power structures in place already. Right. That That's dog will, by it. its nature, be reinforced to predominantly attack black people. Right. Because American policing predominantly... <laughs> Attacks black. Well, and, and, well, and, and we get to see interesting versions of that, in, and we we can. Yeah. This is a testable hypothesis that has been tested, um, because like it's super easy to test, like um, because like you know you go through all kinds of processes, like the sort of like the people you train the dog with to like make choice. Like the movie prize, it's like a really wild ass version of this, where like you hire a bunch of black people to beat the right, dog. And like, right, it's this right, insane one. Right. Like that's totally hyper unnecessary, right? Like it's like, Oh, well you, there's a police dog. You, you're constantly reinforcing. It's it, like, it doesn't know. It just does like what it's, you know, it's, it's slowly being, right. it's sort of way of understanding the world is being shaped over time. Right. Uh, but you can test this hypothesis because we we see the exact same thing with the drug enforcement dogs that operate in airports and in ports also having it but for different communities that they have right. been reinforced to aggressively target like All right like in that those communities it's it's just okay we now have control groups that we can test this with it's like okay it's whatever group you decide is always a criminal will oh the dog will always assume is a criminal like right. it's always right. a problem now another another place where i would appreciate more nuance but i think fuller's on 
a good path is the idea that when the dog's former owner show up, it is just this kindly old white man who looks a little like Santa Claus. Right. And yeah. has, uh, has two cute little daughters. Right. Or granddaughters. Now, there is a flip side of that that I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Is okay. it is it the classism inherent to Absolutely that character's Absolutely it is. It is. Yeah. The, it is. Yeah. It is. I, I almost <laughs> just stopped watching the movie. Because when when, just, when he says, "Oh, he escaped from the trailer park," right? I, I yeah. had the same. I, I was like, yeah, "Well, Pat's reaction. gonna turn this movie off right now." <laughs> this this enhance. There's this. It's it's more. It's like it's it's a very special, almost like specifically Hollywood classism, especially yeah. Of like yeah, what kind of person would train a, this this sort of concept? This white dog. Oh, it's it's like a it's it's it's. A, it's a it's hick. It's a poor it's, white person. Yeah, it's a poor it's, white person. Yeah. It's a hick. It's a tra- it's trailer trash. Like, like he even speaks with a southern accent, right? In Los Angeles, right. like, right? And there, I got news for you. If there's a southern accent <laughs> in a lot a movie made in Hollywood, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, it, especially if it's located now, in now Los to Angeles. Be, to be fair, through the fifties, sixties, seventies, into the nineties, uh, LAPD was specifically hiring southern trans. I understand. Uh, I so, I understand. There's so a lot of that aspect, things about but... that, but like the reality of the matter is, is that like I mean, you can kind of go that this can kind of you get a kind of transverse property thing going on here, where like the reality of the matter is though that like right if you if it is a movie that takes place in any major city yeah. in America, but especially L.A., and the person has a Southern accent, they are guaranteed right. to be a racist in that movie. Right, it is almost universal. Yeah. It is, uh, it is this common white liberal northerner particular view that racism is a southern problem, right? Yeah. And you know that's never been true. Um, and you know, I, I don't know if we talked about this on this podcast or not, but you know, some of some of my other work that I'm doing in life right now has led me to researching the history of uh, racist laws in the state of Ohio. And there were times in the 19th century where uh, where northern commentators said that Ohio was more racist in its legal framework than anywhere in the South. I, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's and I think nuances any, to that. Any hyperbolic, that about, yeah, any hyperbolic yeah. description to say one is more racist, the most right. racist, um, needs to be taken with a grain of salt. But it's not to say that they were wrong about things being bad here. The right, state of Ohio uh, made it nearly impossible for free black men to settle in the state. They put financial uh, financial restraints that are on par with what we do to uh, immigrants today from outside the right, country. Yeah. Uh, they were required to uh, put down a bond, the equivalent of $10,000 in today's money, uh, to guarantee good behavior, uh, money that they do not seem to have ever gotten back in the legal framework. Uh, they were, uh, any, any free black family moving into the state first had to have the papers to prove they were free and had to present those papers when any, ever, anyone asked, uh, had to have that paperwork to get hired. And anyone who hired someone without that paperwork, uh, themselves were subject to a fine and to uh, they had to pay restitution if if a uh, employer hired a black person who was proven 
later or even really accused because that's all the proof you needed <laughs> mostly right, yeah uh but if uh if they were later revealed to be enslaved the employer had to pay rest daily restitution to uh to the claimed owner of that, the enslaver of that enslaved person uh so yeah that's you know all of that to say is that i feel like this movie uh when we meet the the overt racist he is meant to be a southern poor uh, uh, absolutely and it, i found person. that i really and, that upset me a lot i was right. like of right. course of which course is, this is what yeah. we decided to do in this movie which is where i really do find it interesting that uh that we do have that scene in the hospital where julie refuse like like her friend is actively asking why why would he go so crazy like that and this is after julie has been told about the concept of white dogs right and knows it's a white dog um now the actress you know is one of the few african-american characters in the movie who does not uh does not immediately say well this is a, this right. is a white dog um but but julie capes for her for her dog Right. Right. You now pretends that it's not an issue she sees. Uh, pretends that it's uh, not, you know, not an inherent issue. She knows it is, uh, and eventually she comes around and says, "Well, this he needs to be taken out too." But, but your, I think your reading is better to to think about the dog as representative of a system. Uh, more than an individual, even though Fuller is positing right, the dog right. as an individual, which is it, its own issues. Right. Um, well, what I would say that that's that's the interesting thing, right? Is I think what we find there is an interesting paradox in discussions about racism in general, which is right because racism is a systemic issue. Even attempts to classify racism as personal issues can always be reinterpreted as systemic issues because it, they're inherently like ones are always inherently derived from the other. It, like you're essentially right. like, uh, like just feeding up the like you're mentally just feeding one step up the chain. And so it can happen in almost anything. Right. Like, like right. in reality, like, you know what I mean? Like, and we do it all the time with real life, right? Like or we, you know, people try to, and then they get rebuffed and stuff, but it's like, you know, the, that's, I mean, that's essentially what the bad apple bullshit right. argument is, right. right? And then, of course, anybody with a brain that, like, wants to go there goes, well, actually, we can just feed that one step up the chain, and now we have our a much closer to real answer. And that's what we're right. just doing right. here, right? Like, we're doing the same thing we would do to a police officer in this environment, like, right. in, in real life. Because, like, yeah, we know that the dog didn't, like, magically become that, racist. And right. we know that that right. guy who trained him didn't, like, that. that's bullshit. Like, you're bullshitting me right now. And you know that that some some more training or or different training in the past, um, though though interesting there that this movie does posit that no amount of additional training is going to actually yeah. help, which them. is also just its whole other uh, thing where it's like yeah you can't yeah. again like right. if you take it as a systemic issue it's not problematic because like you can be like well yeah you're right like we can't reform right. a broken system right. right. Uh, right. Whereas if you take it as a personal issue, <laughs> then you actually get into this weird thing. Where it's like, well, actually, you can like help people, right? Yeah. Like let go of their 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 yeah. bigotries and their hate, right. and like it has happened and it does happen. Like people do it, right. so that becomes yeah. a whole another problem because the movie's actually wrong about individuals, but right, <laughs> right. about systems, right. which is the opposite of what it wants to do, which is <laughs> fascinating. To, right. 
Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it makes me think, you know, I know I brought up before uh, Eduardo Eduardo Bonanola Silva's uh, Racism Without Racists. Uh, and, and his posit in that book is, you know, it's pretty much in the title, is that uh, racist structures will continue to exist even if everyone's educated away from racism right, because yeah. the structures themselves are, are inherently racist and produce uh, racially inequitable outcomes. Um, so it's the structures that need to be redeemed, that right, need to be right. changed. Um, and of course, you know, changing changing uh racists is uh uh you know uh creating creating people who believe inequality out of racists uh is a noble thing to do and something that does need to be done and people I mean you need, need to, to do you need to where... do both right because if you create <clears throat> yeah. if you somehow fix the system but don't help people who are racist stop being racist right. they will just remake that the system system's going again. to recreate it. Right. right right they'll just be like well, well we're going to build that thing that right. we all longed for from when we were children or whatever right, <laughs> right. like the right. they're like right. why can't it be the 1950s right. again sort of uh dealio right. and that's and that's ultimately where it, where it boils down to is that yeah racism Racism, when we talk about the power dynamic of racism, and, and many people will, will, will say racism uh, isn't overtly an issue unless it has the power, right? And that's, that's why we say that, that so-called reverse racism uh, can't exist, at least in the U.S., because a black person cannot be racist against a white person in the U.S. because they lack the power uh, to actually enact socially any, to, yeah, act, like, yeah. to enact on that racism. And that's, that's really, you know, the, the movie doesn't comment on it, but, but the reason the dog is a problem is because the dog has the power to murder. Right. Based yeah. On absolutely. Yeah. These beliefs. Right. Right. If the dog um, just was only capable, if it was a, if it was a toy poodle, <laughs> this would be a radically right. different movie. <laughs> right. 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 Um, I mean, you have the setup yeah. for a comedy movie at that point, right? Like I have this of racist course. dog that barks. Of course. At, you know, but, that's definitely yeah, been in a movie. If it, I've definitely it seen is, that in a movie. Yeah. If it is a dog who just who just barked, right, or uh, or a turtle. Uh, you know. <laughs> okay, like I can't uh, even begin to now. Now you're just breaking my brain. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, you know, a, a, a dog, no matter what dog, has has an inherent uh, right. I mean, it can still be dangerous to, because to it is children. It is, and, yeah, there's a lot can of be a dangerous things. animal, but uh, <laughs> but which is where the animal metaphor starts to fall apart, right? Pretty quick, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> you know, what was that? What was that Pixar movie where? <laughs> Where, where I don't think they're about, about the about the animal cops. Um, oh, I think you're talking anyway. about Zootopia. That one's a, I, yes. I think, right? That's a yeah. wild ride. Yeah. That that movie, right. boy, right. I tell you, right? Uh, it's something. Um, but, but like I said, you know, the the dog is a problem because it has power, right? right. And and racism, racists in power are a problem. But but the racism itself is less of a problem. Not to not to say that you know if every race if 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 we had some sort of weird underclass where where if you were racist you weren't allowed to have power um, one it would encourage people not to be racist I think but uh, but two um, you know it's it would it's still not to be say that there wouldn't be problems right, right. it would still Racism be something would you would want to address like to be honest but, it would still be a thing you would want to try yeah. to you know right but the help the with issue take care of society. And the issue everywhere is that uh, so often this obviously happens across the racial spectrum, and uh, it is not my place to critique black people who think this way. Uh, but there are there are other black people who who will. Uh, 
and that that goes back you know that's uh Du Bois's arguments against uh against Booker T Washington were about Washington being a uh, believing in uplift uplift suasion this this idea that that if black people were just good enough that white people would accept right. them or if an amount of black people were good enough white people would accept all black people as human uh that has never worked in you know practice right. and that's what you know you know, Fannin and and you know, Fannin more overtly ties it to capitalism. All that to say, what I can critique is the myriad of white people I know and see and interact with daily, who only view racism as an individual individualistic right. yeah. problem. Right, and and I don't want to say that it is only a structural problem because individual issue and and education can help with that, but. As our reading of the end of this movie suggests, and again, it's not Fuller's intent, I don't believe, but only viewing individualistically isn't going to actually solve any problem. Right, it won't right. actually, cannot possibly right. solve right. And the, the problem. And, you know, and that's, right. I mean, in the real world, again, that's a thing we get into, right? Like, it's like no amount of training will fix right. this problem. We will, right. we will not train, right. we will not anti-bigotry train our way out of yeah. this hole. Uh, right. No matter how right. hard we and and quote unquote, yeah, or try. implicit bias or whatever, and that's really what it is, right? This dog has has an overt implicit bias, right. and you can't train it away. Um, and, which and again, I we get into the, this weird thing movie, because again, on a personal level, the movie level, is actually accurate on that, right? right? Like, we get into this really <laughs> weird thing about like you know, again, like it's it's it get, it, the, the metaphor gets really mixed up and confusing right. because again, right. like you right. you could train if, a dog and you can help a person. Like it's a thing you could do, I think, but the person has to be removed from the system first. Like that's a thing. Right. The person can't be a part of the system, yeah, and be helped right. at the same time. Get them out of power. Get them out of power, and that's that's where we where we can help to uh, help to redeem them. Um, I think it's interesting that Paramount sort of suppressed this movie. I don't think Paramount suppressed this movie necessarily because I early '80s, you know, with with Reagan coming to power, I think there is a uh, there is a political environment around this movie not coming out. Right. But I think ultimately what what there I won't say ultimate. I won't judge one or the other, but I think there is an argument to be made that Paramount suppressed this movie not because of the concerns of the NAACP, but they used the concerns of the NAACP uh to suppress a movie that they just didn't like, that they were never I, on board with Fuller's interpretation of this work. See that. Like yeah. even watching this like and I don't think it's like I don't want to like chalk it up to like they weren't they couldn't handle it like you know it's just too real. Right. I think it's like even watching this movie myself, I'm kind of like mixed opinions on it. Like, and you know, you and right. I come from right. from a very specific angle, but even then, like just from a pure like watching a movie, I'm kind of like, meh, meh, eh. Yeah, it's fine. The movie's fine. Like, but. You know, and especially if yeah. you're delaying the re- if you get to the point where it's like 1982, and then like. You've got like you thought you were getting jaws with paws. This is right. what comes out, and you say like, "Well, you know, like we really were just hoping to watch a dog kill people." Like, let's be clear here, um, not right. really what we signed right. up for. The dog really just um, doesn't kill enough people, and we don't like get to see it very close. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, mm, "We we didn't sign up for this." Yeah, but then the idea that this movie had sort of a, a repertory play. A release in 91 10 years later so you know this comes out the same year as the rodney king right uh stuff right uh when he was beat by by la police um 
that's an interesting aspect that that it did find an audience then and i think you know if we if we actually boiled this down and talked about this german shepherd as as the real life german shepherd he is based off of and and think about this uh dog as a metaphor for policing in the us right I think this movie works a lot better. Well, but think uh, yes, I completely agree. I just wish the movie was that though. Like right, to talk right. about like armchair directing like boy, what a movie yeah. this could be if it were actually that. Like if it actually intended to do that. Right. That's a ri- like and that's much more and interesting. Nearly all of it works. Yeah, you hardly have to change anything. Right? Like all you actually have to do is make it back into a police dog basically. <laughs> And you're done. Right. Like, job done. Yeah. Made Overtly the name it as a police dog, right? And that, that you know, even eliminates the, the, the weird classism of, of the owner. You know, maybe she gets a different argument. But, but to have an, you know, we had a very differently powerful scene to have an L.A. police officer show up at her Absolutely. door. Absolutely. To mean, say, I think you found my dog, right? Right. And then that, uh, that power dynamic gets really interesting <laughs> because then, like, if she does tell him to go to hell, like she's essentially quote unquote stolen police property, and then like they try <laughs> right, to put her right. in jail. There's a whole another extra level to it. Yeah, I mean, obviously that that adds another act to the movie that maybe is too much, but maybe. But all of our worry about the police attacking a little boy on the street in that little bit of suspense, mm-hmm. the uh, the police shooting a man dead in a church. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it all that's works a, that's, really, really well. That's a thing that's happened. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it works. Well, that's, again, I think we're getting into the thing that we were talking about earlier. If you right. have a mind to do it, it's very easy to trace the thing up one more step up the line and get the actual, get something closer to the real answer to the question of, like, why is this happening, right? right? And, right. like, the movie yeah. just needs to let you do that easily. It needs to not try to fight you on that process. Essentially right. making it, like, the police right. dog just makes it so you don't, get fought on that process. You can just do it on your own as a viewer and be like, yep, I got the answer here. I know what's going on. Right. Right. Uh, whereas now, the movie's uh, trying to you know, dissuade you from doing that actively. Right. And, and it's trying because Fuller is both trying to broaden his message, but also is, is literally just unresponsive to even the people, you know, the, to even the African-Americans involved with, production you know and and obviously he's got his own reasons for that in in ways that miri mirror gary's uh complaints about seaberg's relationship to the panthers uh you know fuller it feels betrayed that paramount brought in uh these african-american advisors without telling him and just show up someday with the notes uh but apparently he also incorporated some of those notes right uh yeah and it's weird. Well, I mean, I don't want to get... put. I don't want to. I don't want to take Paramount completely off the hook, either. You know, uh, or even suggest. You know, I've already said. You know, I don't want to say one way or the other. But, but also the fact that Paramount only ultimately released this movie with no fanfare in five theaters in Detroit. Yeah. Oh, well, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do not need to let Paramount off the hook. Let's be very clear here. Right. right and then there's right. there's this sort of weird, cold, cr- like terrifyingness to like. <laughs> releasing it in 91 and like what that says about what they think they are like about you know right. capitalism exploiting like <laughs> well you the, know the it suffering. was people people requested you know i like know i film. know but like but yeah. you know they probably presumably had said no before 
Right. Uh, I would go on a limb, out on a limb, and say they probably in the past had said no. Um, when people had requested it, and then this time they said to themselves, mm, "We have a little bit of a golden ticket sitting in one of our vaults here." Um, right. I mean, like, come on, we all know how what what they right. this right. how this right. all right. works. Um, but like an interesting, I mean, the problem we get into and where you're going with this sort of with or without per, without like intention is like the react of the matter fact of the matter is is that a movie that talks about racism in the United States needs to center the voices of people who have have that lived experience, right? Right. Like it shouldn't be Sam Fuller. Like Sam Fuller despite his efforts to make movies about racism, which is a which is a noble yeah, good thing to or, have in your heart to want to do, should not be the one making this movie. Or even if it is Fuller, it shouldn't be Gary's work. And right, that was right. one of the and, and, and yeah, one of the NAACP's complaints was that there are other works written by black authors with a more nuanced view of race. Right, right, right. That that would be better to talk about. Right. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there's you got you've got the classic failure of the system, kind of all the way down right. the line, right? Like, whose voice do you choose to focus on, and then who gets the the ability to like put that voice into film, right? Like it's that same sort of failure that we see time and time again, right? Um, it's not really a failure. The system's working as intended, but like, you know what I mean? It's a failure from the perspective right. of the outsider who wishes that like the thing made what it was supposed to be, um, what would actually be useful to society. But um, yeah, no, it's, it, it, then we get into, there's another thing that I did want to talk about is that there's also just the kind of inherent problem with doing the, animal analogy you kind of get into like the x-men or something kind of world where it's like you know yes this is again the movie you and i kind of like armchair directed would be a better animal analogy the animal analogy is always dehumanizing period right right you're already like choosing somebody or multiple somebody's to make into like say like well it's not a person it's an animal right like human beings will interact with that differently right in a in a small defense to our interpretation of this movie, if we made it a police dog, the animal is representing the uh, the system of policing, not individual police. Right, that's true. We we, but, we we have already yeah. yeah. I mean, we're we've we've already done a better job. We could basically hang it up. But <laughs> like the like, but all joking aside, like you know, you do get into the sort of the the superhero X Men. Like analogies are useful and they are helpful and they are important. Like they are worth having in this world to help people come to grips with a thing that they're not willing to confront head on. Right. Like they are useful in the sense that like, if it were just a white police officer and like, of course the movie would function very differently, like throwing him in a Thunderdome and like retraining him with a leash is a whole nother different movie (laughs) that is very interesting to me and is my non YA novel that I'm going to write. Um, yeah, but like that would make more money. What? Uh, that like the white police officer, police officers in cages. Um, yeah. But like, but in all seriousness, not from the audience you want to interact with. But true, very true, money. very true. Uh, um, but like, in all seriousness, like the analogies do help audiences come right. to grips with right. a subject that they're not willing to w- take on head on. Right? Like, m- like we see time and time again that America, even to this day, is not ready to watch a movie about explicit racism in the police in in policing right like it, there's always got to be some level of obfuscation because if you just make that movie it will make zero dollars right it will make some it will make negative money um and will probably get you 
if not killed, yeah. harassed. Um, but like at the same time, we always do run into the problem of like that that dehumanization and all this. Uh, like, and and by using an analogy, you do take culpability away from the people you're actually talking about, right? Like, right. You're saying, well, there. This is not that. This is this other thing, right? And so, um, yeah. Uh, you know. What got me? What got my thinking about interpreting this movie uh, as uh, the futility of Keyes' plan? Right. right. That that imbuing it in, is uh, one of the essays uh, is by uh, Jay Oberman, and he compares. Uh, he talks about the scene where Keyes says, uh, "And if I fail with this one, I'll just find another one and I'll try again." Um, and compares that to to Captain Ahab. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, which is interesting. Um, and and Keys is is a great character. My, you know the, you know parents are anthropologists, and he's got this this interesting anthropology of animal. Right. Yeah. It's a <laughs> whole it's a whole thing interesting going thing going on. I will <laughs> yeah. say also probably my favorite acting in the movie just in general. It's the most sort of oh yeah personable and interesting. Everybody else is he's great. Eh, he's great in the movie, honestly. But um, that's quite good. Pearl Ives is Pearl Ives. Uh, yeah, I mean, I and, can't stop uh, singing Christmas songs whenever he's on screen. Yeah, it's a whole right, thing. Right. Nichols is is very young here. You know, she'd been acting for a long time, but but she's only eighteen in this role, I believe. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah. Uh, so thinking about him as as an Ahabish obsession, and yeah. and you know, and and that's what got me thinking about you know. Good, Oberman doesn't make this jump, but but that makes it interesting that he is obsessed because he himself has been conditioned to believe that uh, racism is an individualistic thing, uh, and and why shouldn't he? He comes from uh, successful academic black parents, right? Uh, you know, he right. is he is the ten percent, um, the talented ten, or the the scion of the talent talented ten. Uh, so you know, there's there's nuance to be explored there, but again. You know that needs a lot more African Americans on the on the at least in production end, right? And also requires more movie that. and a lot of right. other stuff that right. like the movie that clearly right. was not going to happen, right? Right. Uh, but it's also interesting that uh, you know I think it's the Overman essay too that refers to Keys as uh, as uh, Burl Ives' character's uh, employee, but like both of their names are on the board. Yeah, no, you know, it's, we get it's, that dramatic zoom in yeah, on Key's no, name, yeah. even, and and and, <laughs> like they, and I think identifying it as an and, employee thing is really right. just a sort of like whoever's watching the movie's own implicit bias because, like, <laughs> right, very clearly right. the movie paints it as a partnership where they work together to make decisions and and, and everything else. Keys has the authority to tell other employees to take vacation. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And like, uh, and say, I'm working on the this boss. now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Keys is the boss. They are at least partners. Um, so, you know, uh, maybe not equal partners in that Keys has more of a hands-on training approach and, and uh, the other guy seems to be more of the business end. Uh, right. But, yeah. you know, whatever. They're partners. <laughs> it's not an employee-employer relationship. Um, that doesn't make it any less tragic when his partner in business is attacked by right. uh, by the dog at the end. Um 
in fact, it makes it a little more tragic in a weird way, I think, yeah. because I they mean, are they are equals. And that's and, you know, that that lends to Fuller's sort of colorblind interpretation of, right. of racism here. Um, whereas, you know, we need to examine the ways in which our longing for a colorblind society is really a longing to, uh, you know, make uh, people of color into white people. Uh, so often colorblindness right. ends up as uh, this, you know, integration of bringing people to one side instead of actually integrating. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but, you know, that's its own nuanced conversation to have. And, and the way I've just talked about it is not very, so. <laughs> right. I, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, well, and that's, you know, that's, uh, I mean, we don't, we personally, you know, we, we don't, Digging into Fuller as an individual is a whole other right, right, thing right, right. that we're not really yeah. prepared to do. We don't have the time or research but, to to do that really. Yeah. But 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 you're right to say Paul Winfield is phenomenal in this movie. I uh, I think yeah, like I mean, actor. he's sort of honestly um, until he shows up on screen, the movie is kind of hard to right. watch. It's I do love that he's introduced fighting a wrestling with a tiger though, or right? A, a lady lion. Um, but anyway. Um, I, I will it's say, just like, uh, I don't know, like the the acting in the movie up until then is pretty stark yeah. and not right. very fun to watch. Yeah. And then he's on screen and there's, it, it, it kind of lights up all, quite a bit. There's a lot of good nonverbal stuff in this movie. Uh, and I think particularly of his reaction in the church uh, and uh, McNichols' reaction uh, when she wanders into the uh, the uh, the pound and sees the gas chamber yeah um you know just some some good emotion emotional stuff going physically without yeah, without I mean, you know without right. telling us just showing us it's very good yeah there's some good um, there's some really good and i feel like that, that is a, an area where fuller is my yeah. only memories of fuller is him being good at that kind of stuff <laughs> right, right my only yes. real issue with the, the gas chamber thing and this is just a stupid thing is like in my head i'm like you didn't like know how this worked Right. Like you're an right. adult and you didn't realize what happened to well, strays, like. But that's another another aspect. Well, right, you could take that as an is, analogy for a whole another right sort of like element of being shielded that, from the system, right? But yeah, yeah. Nichols, uh, McNichol, uh, you know, Julie in her life has not had to know about any of these things, and you know, and that's a part of the education that that really is important but important not it's hard right because for the most part you know a lot of white people can say well i i didn't know and they'll be honest but but they have had the privilege not to know right right and and for years i had the privilege not to know right uh and and you're not because of the way society has already been racially structured you are not dealing with the same things and you are not seeing those things being dealt with in front of you right. uh, in a way that you can't just say, well, it's an isolated incident and he should have listened to the cop. Right. Uh, you know, so, so it is interesting to see her confronting, but again, that is a, a broader version of this movie, a more nuanced version of this movie than what Fuller right. is actively yeah. trying to make. Right. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, Fuller does a lot of really 
interesting, fascinating stuff. The point of view shots from the dog, the 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 long takes. That you know, there's just there's a lot of really interesting things going on. Like we we get a shot of the dog waking up in the in the vet's office, and the first thing he sees is is McNichol, and you know it's it's a lot. I can understand why Paramount didn't like it. Yeah, and they yeah. talk in the documentary that Paramount wanted all of that stuff taken out, but uh, it would have required reshoots because Fuller just hadn't shot it any other way and right, right, didn't yeah. have didn't have alternative takes. Um, so you know, it's it is a well crafted movie stylistically, and it's very stylish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and Paramount obviously did not want a movie stylish in this manner. No, I mean, you can, like, I mean, you can see that, like, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, but, like, yeah, this is not very clearly, like, we've we've seen movies that are, there's a certain sort of style to this era of movies that want to have a social impact sort of thing, and this definitely fits yeah. into that sort of category. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but, like, the way you make a sort of, like, social impact movie in the set, you know, 80s and this one still leans very heavy on the 70s styling still because you know again like the decades extend far into the next decade stylistically speaking it just feels like a it does just feel like a like a social issues movie uh right at its core it doesn't feel like a horror movie it feels like a social issues movie um Right, and it's not. It's meant to be a social issue, right? Well, absolutely, no, yeah, totally. But like, as much you, as anyone else wanted him to, right? To it's not. just everybody else wanted, <laughs> you know, yeah, Jaws on Pulse or whatever. Which is, yeah. uh, the only thing I'm really going to take away from a lot of this discussion is just that phrase because I can't stop that thinking, phrase. Yes, that, thinking about that that phrase. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, it's in my head now. That and that and, uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, well, now I've forgotten what our our, our phrase for uh, spontaneous Griffinization is. The only other. yeah, spontaneous Griffinization and jaws on pause. Yeah, they're good, they're good things. So uh, one, you know, I I suppose switching gears uh, in a lot of ways, um, but but maybe not switching gears too much. Um, in the promotion of this movie, original promotion of this movie, nineteen eighty two, Sam Fuller wrote in interview and i hope my pause there lets you know that i'm putting the word interview in quotes yes uh it was published in uh the journal framework uh which is a journal of cinema and media uh and it is him interviewing the dog yeah of course it uh is. there's also this you know conceit that it's one dog even though there's five dogs credited right. in the in the in the closing credits, um, but uh, but he does this whole thing where where he's interviewing the dog, and also they're interviewing he's interviewing the dog on location at the uh, at the the annual animal sanctuary where they, they you know film the bulk of this. Uh, so th- there's also a a lion uh, who's looking at the dog the entire time and the dog is nervous about the lion looking looking at him um so there's there's just a lot of weird conceits through the whole thing uh-huh. uh fuller writing both sides obviously i mean if you say so it get well it gets really masturbatory when he starts talking about 
uh, the racial message of the movie. There's so much bad. <laughs> there really is. Yeah. Some. Like, I'm glad I didn't read it. You've, you've yeah. obviously read yeah. it, but I, I, it. I just, I'm glad that that's not a thing that actually crossed my desk before we started recording this. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so he talks about whether or not, uh, blacks will like the movie. Um, and you know, that's a, an era thing of, uh, you know, uh, we have, we have moved away from, the terminology of calling a group of people uh, blacks uh, toward toward maybe saying black people, um, so I won't I won't uh, I won't dock him for that, but <laughs> for for terminology that feels a little iffy. Uh, but uh, he asked the dog uh, if if bigots will like the movie, and he says the dog says they'll denounce it, and uh, Fuller asks why, and says. Uh, because you show them naked for what they are. They'll call it un-American, socialistic, communistic, liberal crap. Anything to muzzle an outcry on film against a disease created by man. And that's good. Right. Fuller is not doing it <laughs> as well right. as Fuller right. thinks he's doing. But Fuller is right about the reaction it will cause. Um, and, you know, we see that right now with every every conservative news outlet and, and, and conservative Christian... Uh, Talking Head and conservatives in general uh, have decided that critical race theory is anything they don't like and right, right, <laughs> are yeah. banning it left and right uh, or attempting to and sometimes successfully doing so so far. Uh, but yeah, as you know, cultural Marxism is the, the blanket term they used right before this. Postmodernism is one I grew up with, but they all mean the same thing right. and they all mean the stuff that is not uh, is not in support of a white nationalist <laughs> agenda right, yeah. uh, is really what they mean. Uh, whether or not they would, you know, openly describe their agenda as white nationalist, it is. Um, but you know, then it sort of falls apart. Where the in talking about racism as a a, a human creation, uh, the the dog starts talking about other animal metaphors. Can you imagine horses lynching a zebra? Uh, and it's very gets it confusing. Gets a little it sounds like yeah. Uh, but then Fuller asks the dog, uh, "Why will the blacks like the movie?" Uh, quote uh, and quote the dog, uh, because the character Paul Winfield plays is not only one of stature, but the challenge that confronts him is reality and agonizing reality at that. You are right, making an anthropologist and animal behavior expert. His academic background, his parents' university professors, teaching and writing books on anthropology, his wild animal farm used as his own laboratory, his training of dangerous beasts, his physical contact with them instead of learning it from books, his determination to uh, recondition the brain of the dog, blah, blah, blah. Um, So uh, this is Fuller being self-congratulatory about positioning... Uh, a black man in his movie as uh, smart, uh, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is you know he he should be, but you shouldn't be self congratulatory, right? It, like you're. Right? Well, I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing, right? Like, I mean, yeah. what makes it so bad yeah. is that it's an interview with himself, and like he's decided <laughs> right, right, to right, like right, congratulate right. himself for being yeah. just super definitely not racist, right? Right, and then he gets into the 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 color blindness of it. Um, that that uh, black people like this movie because Winfield is presented not as 
a black scientist, but as a scientist, um, as if making him a black scientist makes him lesser in that sentence too. Right. Um, and again, you know, Fuller wouldn't say that, but uh, it's this the the subtlety of the way we talk about these things right, is right. show betrays our own social conditioning, right? Right. Uh, and you know, it's it seems to me in this instance that Fuller was someone who had a lot of very good ideas, mm-hmm. but was not open to criticism of those ideas right. because he thought he already had the best ideas. Right, right. Uh, and you need to be open both to outside criticism, but also self-reflection, particularly right. yeah. when you're talking about things that you have a very specific view of and other people uh, maybe have a a different view of that because they have lived it. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, to like... When I think about, like, the way I was even taught to think about race in America. Yeah. And, like, it is very, like, Fuller has a perspective on this that is the, the common standard perspective of people who, you know, white people who are raised by people who or, or who are who mean well, in in essence, who... who right, right, right. Like... That that desire to like because, you know, to a certain extent, right? You you get into this problem where you're like, well, I I I myself do not feel like I am racist, so I inha- but, like. But I, it is also not just necessarily, you know, a white divide thing because uh, you know your political spectrum is, is you you can see you know both of us being fairly left leaning, um, you know, you get that same pushback from from. You know, solidly liberal people, right? right. Um, and well, you know, you they can go halfway down the path and believe they're at the end, and they refuse to take another right. step. Well, that, that's, and anyone yeah. who says there are more steps to take is obviously looking at a different path and right, and right, don't and, understand what's going on. And that right. that's where I was kind of going with it is that like this is this is very this sort of belief is very. Is very common, right? Like you know, Fuller is is very much pretty standard for a person who doesn't who who sees race as an issue, but can't, as you said, finish sort of the whole the whole thought process, right? right? Because you weren't most people are not even if you're raised to understand race as an issue that needs that needs addressing the United States is very rare, especially at least within my within my sphere, my personal experience to be raised to think of race as a issue that needs to be addressed by America and also is systemic to our society. And therefore you are, you are inherently a, a beneficiary of it. And, and as a result, have an obligation to, to help deal with it. Even if you yourself on an individual f- level, do not feel like you are racist. You know what I mean? Like that is, right. a, there is a whole, like I, my point was, is just that like Fuller is very, his idea is very standard. He is not somebody who is, I guess what I'm trying to is get to is like to couch him in the idea that like his perspective on it is a very common perspective on it. Right. It is unfortunate that he doesn't have the deeper perspective on it. Right. Uh, and is, and it is a perspective that has been you know, pushed against by, you know, plenty of people. 
absolutely over the, over the years you know uh, and and i can't you know fuller is probably more liberal than a lot of people he grew up around and that's the interesting thing right because uh, like not to take this so far deeply off the rails that we're somewhere <laughs> off in in another another city another right. world is that like inherently there's a reason there is an implicit racism to the fact that like it's very very hard like when you're teaching your children to acknowledge that to take that next step because that is also an affront to your power right right by admitting that the system itself like by by going through that process all the way in raising your children or or talking to other people about it you have to admit that you are part of the problem they're like you're not part of the solution right now you're part of the problem right uh and that's hard that's like really hard and like and i think a a line from from this interview is maybe indicative of how far down the path fuller is willing to go uh they talk about the scene where the dog is being they talk about lobotomizing the dog in the movie and uh and fuller asks the boomerang of the brain was to show the damage of tampering with a sick and tortured brain. Do you think that Winfield should have performed a lobotomy on the dog? And the dog says, and again, this is fuller talking. I don't think I need to keep reminding you of that. But just in case, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, that would be the easy way out. A lobotomy would make the dog a vegetable. But a lobotomy should be performed on the man who trained the dog. Fuller does not comment then any further on that. But but then even within Fuller's framework of this interview, he is saying that uh, that the human is irredeemable and needs to be punished. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. But, and there's, you know, there's... But Again, keep in mind, we, he's not viewing that human as a systemic cause. He's seeing that right, human as right. like an individual. If, he's like, he's basically saying, oh... Right individual racists need need dramatic uh right. sort of like uh need lobotomies to keep them from right, right. And, he, and whether or not he means like legitimately means lobotomy or not he like again, it's some sort of dramatic it, intervention that is that is is yeah. it, it can't not be taken back it's it's not reversible if, if this were all a metaphor for the power structures yes absolutely yeah exactly right <laughs> because absolutely. it's not because it is talking about individuals. No, you are wrong, and please read a book. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the issue is even even if you take it as systemic, a lobotomy itself would be understood in a way that would still not be a solving to the problem. It would be like, well, we'll still have police, but we're going to do is, like, police all have squirt guns instead of guns. You know what I mean? That's sort of where you get into that sort of lobotomy yeah. analogy. It's like, well, how do you lobotomize a system you you take away some of its ability to interact, like to enact power, but you're not taking away all of it because it's still alive and it still walks around and it still does well, stuff. Yes, it's just not yes. very effective at it anymore, right? Like, presumably, I don't know what a pre- lobotomized police department looks like, but it's a waste of everything. Presumably, time. yeah, presumably lobotomizing <laughs> a police department actually removes it. Uh, right, and, right, and but again, be, that's not what it that would be. Analogy. The cutting out of the police department from from societal structure. Well, yeah, okay. If we're lo- uh, talking about lobotomizing again, the police department out of yeah. society, that's a whole other thing, right? Like, right. okay, like we're going to remove. Yeah. 
And never mind to get? get into the the whole like lobotomization need... and this whole thing and this weird garbage science. That I don't even right. want to go. Right, right, right. We right. don't need to talk and, and about even with like that, bad brain science and doing horrible things yeah. to human beings' brains. And right, even before we get to that, we do need to still talk about you know the police are an aspect of those power structures, but they are not the entire the only of those one. Power Absolutely, structures yeah. and yeah. right. <laughs> there, there are other things to get into. There's a, yeah, I mean a um, whole bunch of other stuff, right? Like right, so. right, right, and you know. Yet. the critique is uh, the yeah you know, the people talking about defunding the police and abolishing the police have uh, have fought that out. You know, it's yeah, not absolutely, a, yeah, totally. it's not I, just an idea an idea somebody had once in a phrase uh, yeah. and threw it out. Somebody you didn't know, just like cook it up while high over the weekend one time yeah. and was like, "All there right, are, we've got it, guys." There are, there are now even even just written in the last year, there are hundreds, if not thousands. Uh, yep. Of introductions to police abolition that can get you through, <laughs> through that at least, um, to explain what we mean and what what we mean broader than police, what we mean broader than prisons, when we talk about that. Uh, as an aside, Pat, and this maybe I'll cut from the podcast. Uh, the Mennonite Church released mm-hmm. a uh, police abolition curriculum, a nine week curriculum yeah. designed to be used in. Uh, in Sunday school classes, mostly for adults, but it could it could work for with a little modification. It could work for younger audiences. Uh, but the uh, last Thursday, last Thursday, not this past, but last Thursday, um, there was a uh, Zoom meeting with some of the authors of it, most of the authors of it, uh, and someone asked in the response time, "Did you reach out to or include any police perspectives in your in your abolish the police <laughs> curriculum?" Um, and uh, one of the responses, one of the one of the authors responded with with such. It was so perfect, and what she said was, "We didn't need to reach out for the pro police side. You live the pro police side, right? Every like day. I don't know what. Yeah, what would they offer you? <laughs> that that question is so indicative of just everything, basically. This is a movie that we obviously wish." had been a little different in right. its messaging. Yeah. Um, and to make those changes in messaging, it would have needed to be a little different plot-wise. Uh, Fuller obviously is on his way toward good work, but I do feel like Fuller thinks he's at the end of a path that he's just further along than a lot of his contemporaries. Right. Yeah. yeah. And by contemporaries there, I mean particularly the white Hollywood people he is around, not everyone on earth <laughs> right yeah like very specifically yeah that's a very important yes. caveat to that because there are plenty of people <laughs> on earth at that time who have already walked right. much further down that path um yeah. but the reality of the matter is is that like hollywood is its own place that right. exists very much separate from society in many ways and, and like, i'm this... glad he's further along i mean like Right, right. Like, good right. on them for making a movie that at least tried to tackle racial issues. But again, we get into yeah. like a whole sort of disease of like why, whose story they chose and who they chose to direct Something... and everything else like that. Right, right, right. The NAACP's complaints about this movie, pushback against this movie, that it should have, Paramount should have thrown their support behind telling a different tale, a more nuanced tale with more black voices involved in the creation of that tale. They're right. 
whatever else, whatever other complaints we might have about the NWACP's complaints here, that aspect of it is correct. Right. Right. And, you know, and we could talk, you know, there's a certainly a, a class argument that we could make against the NWACP in the way it interacts, particularly, right. I'm sure, the Hollywood NWACP branch. Fuller makes a very competent film, makes a very interesting film in the way it's shot, but I do believe there is a... I have been very deliberate in a lot of my teaching around anti-racism to talk about my journey here as a path that I do not intend to reach the end of. Right. That that there's no finish because the uh, the path toward judges and justice keeps going beyond how far I can make it in my lifetime. Right, right, absolutely. And I and there are other people who will join me along that path because we're headed toward the same place, but we will never make it to that place in our lifetime. I don't believe that anyone will ever make it to that place because there will always be new injustices popping up to right. be worked against and discovered. Absolutely. Uh, that may seem pessimistic. <laughs> But, well, I mean, but, but you, what you I know, mean by it, yeah. what I mean by it is just that the work will never be done, and therefore we must be always, always be ready to do the work, right? And, and vigilant you about really, in 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 most, at least you know, for me and like for I think a lot of people, the goal is to build a society that's willing to constantly engage in that work, right? Right. <laughs> Rather than Absolutely. say, mm, what can I do? Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there is the the hope <laughs> that that. It, is necessary in creating a society that is willing to engage with that work, right? It is not right. pessimism because it is, it is, uh, you know, uh, somebody, I can't remember who, uh, I heard recently say, say, yes, this idea is utopian, but that is not, <laughs> but that's not bad. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, don't dismiss it because it's utopian. Uh, you know, embrace it. Uh, as as something to hope hope beyond uh, reasonable expectation, because you know, there's also just an argument to be made that if you if you set your sights that high, right, there's even the if whole you shoot for a the little moon, below, right thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even if you don't quite make it there, you know, that's that's one thing. You know, somebody uh, mid last year, somebody on Facebook. Uh, was complaining about people, you know, we should be saying reform the police instead of defund the police. And I just said, you know, we've, for decades, uh, the liberal establishment has aimed for the middle and then negotiated for the right. Right, absolutely. And the reason that was happened is because the right-wing establishment has aimed as far right as they can Right, they they've got to, the shoot for the to moon, drag compromise, the stars right methodology right. on lockdown. Yeah. yeah, to drag compromise as far far right as they can. So, if we start from the point, uh, if your negotiation starts at ten dollars and you're hoping to get a hundred dollars, you're never going to get a hundred dollars. Right. But if your negotiation starts at a hundred dollars and you're actually hoping to get fifty, then when you get to seventy-five, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. So. Um, and that's the mentality that right-wing legislators uh, have had for decades. Well, and um, oftentimes they just get a hundred anyway, because like the and they get hundred anyway, willing to like fight right. hard enough at all. So right, right. 
Uh, so yeah, anyway. Um, and you know, even if you present a hundred hoping for 50 and get 45, that's better than nothing. Right. right. <laughs> and so often we've just ended up with nothing. With, yeah. With um, nothing. Yeah. Right. Now there is the argument to be made that that's because the people in power on the left wing side don't actually want what they say the, they want. To be right. Doing. They don't want but, 150 uh, <laughs> or anything right. higher than zero either. Yeah. There's a very valid uh, argument but, there that we, we don't have time for today. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's not a place to, to say why. I think I will end to say that, you know, this movie Paramount refuses to put out in 82. Uh, 82 is the same year Universal put out Missing. Right. Uh, right, so, right, right. Like, That's also worth it. Yeah. Like, like, they could have done something so far beyond this movie, and then Paramount just didn't even do this movie. Right. <laughs> and maybe that's where we end. Um, right. I think that's a good spot. I think, I think, again, Fuller put his heart into a movie, and he really, it is stylistically Fuller, and it's very good. Uh, but idealistically, he still had further to go. Uh, and, and, you know, there's this other aspect of, I particularly will say, I, I particularly see this with white activists where, where they learn a little bit and decide that they need to be the savior. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that keeps them from learning anything else and also keeps them from raising up the work already being done in the field that they think that they're going to save. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so, so my other, my other suggestion that, that I, that I say a lot to, uh, to people looking to get into work is to find an organization that is already doing what you want to, <laughs> that's already making the world into what you want the world to be made into and support them anywhere you can. Right. Rather than starting your own organization to do it from scratch just because you want the glory of doing it or whatever, because there is someone doing that work. Almost guarantee it. Yeah. And, and uh, already knows a so, lot more about doing that work than you right. do. Right. So go help them. Uh, yeah. We've been talking about white dog, uh, Sam Fuller's 1982, um, anti-racist movie. Um, and that's, that's another thing. I guess I can't even say that the movie isn't anti-racist, but it is anti, but it is not anti-racism in the same way that it's right. Well, yeah, I mean that gets here. back to our systemic versus. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, it is. Right. It is very systemic versus individualistic. Yeah. Right. Right. It is anti one particular racist. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, White Dog from 1982. Next week we will be talking about the taking of power by Louis the Fourteenth, made for French television, directed by Italian director Roberto Rossellini from 1966. Look forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am as always the Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oritori Dorgan, and we'll see you next time.
This has been Lost in Criteria. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at jonathanhape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.